Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast. This is episode number 26, Protocols. My name is Jesse Ellertson, and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to stop feeling mentally miserable in the process. You know what to do and you're doing it, all while holding down the fort at home, but you are weary from living in survival mode and battling with your brain. If you are ready to thrive, then you are in the right place. Our battle buddy moment for this episode is a review of my podcast from Toya1289. And she says, Jesse is very aware of the struggles that military families and spouses go through and is able to be kind and empathetic. Love listening while I'm getting ready in the AM. And the title of her review was Lovely Podcast. Thank you so much for that review. I really appreciate it. It means so much to me. I have sort of a new segment. I'm going to call it tracking on the business. I don't know if you all use that word, but we use it in the army. They're tracking on things. So I thought that was kind of fun. Um, I just wanted to talk about a few things before we get into the episode. So the first thing I want to mention is that I, in 2020, I am going to do the podcast once a week, at least for now. Who knows? It might change again. But uh, now that I have, you know, a good amount of episodes and I've really got the podcast going, I think once a week will be great. And I just want to have lots of great content for you guys for when you are ready for it. So I'm planning to do it on Tuesdays. But if you don't see it on Tuesday, just know it's coming like Wednesday morning. I'm I'm working on getting ahead on my podcast recordings, but so far uh, that hasn't happened. But uh, I have a plan for that in January. I also want to talk about just how much I love making this podcast, you guys. I'm having so much fun, really just the time of my life. I spend a lot of time thinking about it and planning episodes and just a million ideas that I can't wait to turn into episodes. And I really enjoy imagining you guys listening to it and enjoying it and sharing it with your friends and thinking of it in your day as you come across some of these problems. If you remember some different tips that I've offered you that hopefully are helping. So that's really fun for me. And a thought that I find myself thinking very frequently about my podcast is just my podcast is everything. I think that thought very easily and very frequently. And because I'm spending so much time thinking thoughts like that, my podcast is coming along amazingly. I'm really proud of it and I love where it's going and I love that I'm getting better all the time. I'm taking a class right now on storytelling so that I can improve on that skill because I really enjoy telling you guys stories. I'm going to be continually improving all the skills involved with making podcasts, but that's the one I'm working on right now. And the last thing I want to say in this business section is just that I'm going to be trying to remind you guys a little bit more frequently to subscribe to the podcast, submit a rating. Both of those things just take seconds through the podcast app. And also to leave me a review is so helpful. And then the probably the most helpful thing you can do is to share this with people in your life that you know would also enjoy it. Share it on your Facebook page or your Instagram or send it out to your family, friends, however you want to share it. Um, I would just really appreciate all that. And it helps me so much as I grow this. And I want to say that I have 21 awesome reviews on my podcast, but there are lots more than 21 people listening to this. So I'm calling you guys out. If you're listening to this regularly and enjoying it, please, please, please take a minute and just go leave me a review. And just so you know, I am working on getting the podcast on more platforms. Right now I'm only on iTunes. And so that's coming down the pike. Okay, so today we're talking about protocols, and I've mentioned this a little bit in previous episodes, but we're just going to spend an episode talking about it. 
And one reason I decided to talk about this today is because it's the new year. It's January 7th today. And I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas season and a happy new year and that you're excited about 2020 and all that that is going to involve. It's going to be a grand adventure. And I want to talk about protocols because it's an important layer of my goal setting because I like to set really specific measurable goals and you often think about that in January. But I think a really important layer is to also set your protocols. And so what that looks like for me is a protocol is basically deciding ahead of time how you want to show up in the world in different categories. So I'm going to start by giving you some examples of types of categories and then examples of things that are in my protocol for that specific category. So what I did a couple of months ago when I started really studying protocols and wanting to be more intentional about my protocols is that I was in my coaching notebook and I wrote these different categories at the top of every page of this one section in my notebook. And I started with these these categories, a food protocol, a money protocol, a time protocol, a business protocol, a mothering protocol, and a marriage protocol. Now there's lots more categories, but those were just the ones I wanted to start with because they represent the things that are highest priority to me right now. So then once I had those titles on each of those pages, I could just start to assemble these protocols. So it's not, you you sit down and you start thinking about them, but you don't have to create them all in one sitting. And one thing that I will find is as I'm going about my day and I come upon a situation that falls into one of these categories, I will just add it to my protocol. So I'm going to give you some examples so you can understand what I'm talking about. So under my food protocol, I have lots of things, but here's a few of them. I decide what I will eat that day in the morning when I'm doing my kind of my morning devotional. I get up uh, and I exercise and then I read my scriptures and pray and coach myself and write in my journal and then plan out my day. So I plan what I will eat and I review the things I need to accomplish and make some decisions about how I'm going to spend my time that day. Now I have little kids so I don't plan it like to the minute but I, I have a real intentional structure for how I plan for my day to go knowing that at times it won't go that way. Anyway, so I decide what I'll eat ahead of time. And I, another thing on my protocol is that I prefer to drink water. This is something that I like to think about when I'm pondering my food protocol, things like this, because my protocol is not only drink water or drink eight cups of water a day. Both of those things are in there, but I don't really have trouble getting enough water. But what I like to remind myself is, is that I mostly drink water because I prefer to mostly drink water. So that's the way it's written in my protocols. I prefer to drink water. And when I'm offered a soda, sometimes I take it because I feel like I should or because everyone's drinking soda. Um, I don't, I don't honestly don't really like soda it makes me, carbonation makes me have the hiccups. But my husband, like when we go out to eat, he loves, I mean, he loves soda and he orders the soda and he likes it when I order a drink too, because he likes when we're really like living large. (laughs) And he thinks when I order just a water, it's because I'm like trying to save money or something, which, you know, I like that water's free for sure. That's like a side benefit. But truly, when it comes down to it, I just prefer to drink water. It It's the beverage I prefer and it supports all my goals. Anyway, I'm going into too much detail here. But um, another thing on my food protocol is that I eat in an eight hour eating window. And so I tried to only eat from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And so what that looks like for me is usually just two meals a day, like an early lunch and then kind of like a five or six o'clock dinner. And sometimes I'll have a snack in between. Sometimes something will happen like this morning. I had a breakfast appointment, so I ended up eating breakfast this morning. So this isn't like super duper strict. It's just kind of a guideline for me. And then and then I don't eat after seven. 
as, as much as I possibly can. Uh, another thing that helps me not overeat is that I don't let myself have seconds. I try to make sure that I really think about how hungry I am, how much I want to put on my plate the first time. Because almost always when I go back for seconds, it's not because I'm still hungry. It's because the food tasted good and I want more of it just to have more of that delicious taste. And so I've really identified that seconds is just a part of my overeating, which is what I'm working on is to not overeat. And another one that I like is that I avoid white flour and white sugar. So This one for me, I'm not ready to say no white flour, no white sugar. And I don't know if I ever will decide to go that strong on this, but I'm trying to gear my diet to have very little white flour and white sugar. I'm not worried about getting a little bit here and there, but I'm trying to really focus on avoiding those things in my diet. And that's really helped me. Okay, here's some examples from what I have in my money protocol. Now, some of these things I'm working on. Some of these things I live every day, no problem. Some of these things are almost kind of like goals that I want to be able to continuously implement in my life. So in my money protocol, I have a goal that we will never have less than $10,000 in our main checking account that we use. This is one I listened to a podcast episode from my teacher, Brooke Castillo, about money and money beliefs. And she talked about how without realizing it often, we are actually creating our financial situation by the way we think about our money and the way we spend time thinking about our money. And the words she used that I really have been pondering is the capacity to have. We have a certain capacity of money that we allow ourselves to have and keep and just almost like let it sit there like that's our that's our lowest we go. And so for me, we always had the money that we needed and we would get down, you know, pretty low and then we'd get a paycheck and get back up. And we're doing a lot of things with our money, um, you know, obviously just paying bills and paying our mortgage, but also saving in different ways. And but the the balance in our checking, checking account would fluctuate a lot and never grow very big and would get closer to zero than I wanted it to and even occasionally go negative. I know that that's kind of embarrassing to say out loud, but I know it happens to all of us. And so I started to spend time thinking I have a capacity to have to always have at least $10,000 in my checking account. So whenever thoughts come up on my money and I one common thought for me is we always have just enough. That's a thought that I, as I did my self-coaching, I was able to identify that that was something that I was thinking about money a lot when it came time to pay bills or different things that I would think, oh, it's, we always have just enough. And then we always really pretty much did have just enough, but really never much extra. So I'm trying to increase our capacity to have, not our capacity to spend, but just for that money to sit there and for it to feel very comfortable with it sitting there and we don't need to use it. And it, It's not like dramatic or this like big accomplishment. It's just a very normal, neutral thing that our checking account stays at a a minimum of $10,000. Almost like that's our new zero. Like right now, I do whatever it takes to not go below zero in our checking account. And I'm working to create $10,000 to be our new zero. So sometimes we're making it and sometimes we're not. But I have really seen a difference. And that's been really encouraging. So I'm working on that one some more. Um, Another one that I have on my money protocol is that I know how to make money and keep it. That kind of goes along the lines with that capacity to have. And another thing that I like to spend time thinking about in regards to my money protocol is that my husband and I, uh, it's really important to us that we be generous with our money. And we know that we have so many blessings and we always have what we need and even lots of what we want. And so 
an important piece of that for us is to be generous and we pay a 10% tithing in our church and then we also pay uh, what we call a fast offering, a generous fast offering once a month that is donated to families in need, families who don't have enough food, um, lots of different purposes like that. And Brad and I are often looking for other ways to help where we can, whether it be just to donate to different, you know, maybe kids coming to our door doing fundraisers or programs that come up that we get excited about. One that I've been donating to recently that is really cool is called Charity Water. And they're just working to provide clean drinking water to lots of countries who don't have it. And I really support what they do. A couple of other things in my money protocol is to talk to Brad more frequently about money. So I'm the one in our marriage who just runs the money and and Brad likes that and I like that. That works out well for us, but without realizing it, we'll go a really long time without talking about our money. And so we're working on being a little more intentional about that and having more frequent and consistent conversations about money. And another thing that's important to me that I'm working on is to know where my money is. So at times I sort of neglect our money in, in that I just don't take a look at it for a little while, just kind of knowing everything's okay, everything's running along. But what I like to do is to be actively involved in our money, knowing where my money is at all times and what it's doing. And not in a over-the-top way, but just in a knowledge is power kind of way. Okay, some examples from my time protocol are that I wake up at 5 a.m. That's a new one for me. I've been doing that since September and it has been a game changer. You guys, it's really been amazing. Um, I make sure to make time for my priorities. I used to just kind of hope I would have time to do things that were important to me. And I always felt like time was very short to me, but I'm working on thinking thoughts like I have plenty of time to do everything I need to and every, and all the things I want to as well. And I make that time by organizing my life and, and doing a lot of self-coaching and, and thinking about having that relationship with my time. For the past maybe year and a half, I've been a little more intentional about uh, like my bucket list and really looking for opportunities and making time for more of my dreams that are a little bit maybe even impractical, but I'm really enjoying making that a priority. Like for example, I work a couple times a year in my local grocery store's flower shop, which is so fun because I worked with flowers a lot in high school and college. That was one of my main jobs that I had and I love working with flowers. And one day I was just in that grocery store and I just walked up to the flower counter and I said, are you guys ever looking for extra help like around the holidays? And she said, absolutely. And so I had a lot of fun with that last year and excited to do it again this year. Another thing that I did recently was um, I have a friend who has published a few teenager novels and and I reached out to him asking him if he needed any help with the editing process. He, at least for the first one, he self-published. And so I knew that he was kind of doing his own editing with like his wife and uh, one other person who had more experiences. But that's something I really enjoy doing. And I also just have a knack for it of reading and editing. And so I was able to pre-read one of his books and help him edit it. And that was a lot of fun. So just to make time for things that are priority instead of waiting around to have time for those things, because that's not going to happen. And along those lines, in my time protocol, I have the line that says work hard and play hard. And also one thing I'm working on right now is to decide how long something will take instead of seeing how long it will take. I just think, okay, I have an hour and a half to record and edit this podcast episode, or I have 30 minutes to make dinner. You know, I just decide the time frame ahead of time 
And it's pretty amazing that I really will fit the task into that amount of time where if I had just allowed it to take as long as it needed to, it would take up more of my time. So I'm looking for ways like that to really manage my time but in a way that I have that really healthy relationship with the amount of time that I have. Some examples from my business protocol or is that I self-coach daily. I miss a day here and there, but for the most part, I'm writing down thought downloads and models every day or I'm getting coached at least once a week. Um, I keep promises to myself. I am working on making my business as important as if, if I were making promises to other people, plans and promises with other people. I'm keeping those promises to myself as the, as the entrepreneur of my business. I start and end my meetings on time. This is one that does not come super easily to me. So it's one I'm trying to be really intentional about as a respect to my time and a respect to their time. I am recording and editing and publishing a weekly podcast And one of the main purposes of my business is to be an example of what is possible. And so I love to be a product of life coaching because that's what I'm offering to all of you is all of these tools and tips and tricks. And then I am applying them to my life as well. So I am working to be an example of what is possible to the people around me and to my clients. Some examples from my mothering protocol. This is one of my biggest ones. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny as I kind of built these protocols for a couple of days and would add to them periodically. My mothering list was the longest. So um, I teach my kids to work hard. I teach my kids about God. I teach my kids about money, about managing their mind, about processing negative feelings. I teach my kids how to cook. So a lot of my lines are about what it's important to me to teach my kids. And then a couple other examples are that I say I love you to my kids every day, whether I feel like it or not, whether they say it back or not. That's just really important to me that I say that to them at least once a day, if not more. And this one's pretty interesting. I have a line in my protocol that says, try not to yell, but yell sometimes. And what that looks like for me is I don't think that kids deserve eternally patient parents. I think they deserve our best. And most of the time yelling is not our best option to resolve a situation. But sometimes our best looks a little bit like yelling. And sometimes that's actually kind of good for them to realize that when they do really challenging behaviors, sometimes they're going to be met with patience and sometimes they're going to be met with yelling. And that's a little bit more how it goes in the real world. So I, on my protocol, it says, try not to yell, but yell sometimes. Okay, here are some examples from my marriage protocol. No manual for me or my spouse. I also spend time loving my spouse like it's my favorite hobby. I really have done this this last year of intentionally spending time creating love for my husband, thinking about all the ways I love him, um, all the ways that he's the perfect mate for me, the perfect fit, the perfect spouse. And I find so much evidence and it has been so refreshing to seek that evidence out rather than kind of waiting for stuff to be big enough that I notice it or spending time finding reasons why it's hard to be married to him that I can find that evidence too. But I, I almost as if it's a hobby, I spend time loving my spouse and it feels so good. Um, I have also decided to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, it always feels better to give him the benefit of the doubt than to assume the worst. My lower brain likes to offer me thoughts where I assume the worst. And so I'm trying to really make an effort to give the benefit of the doubt. And that feels really good to decide that ahead of time and then to actually do it in the moment. Okay, so let's talk about how protocols fit into the model. In my previous episode, Deciding What to Believe, that's a little bit along the lines of what we're talking about here. And you'll notice that 
Some of my protocols are things I'm going to do and some of my protocols, some of the lines in my protocol are things I'm going to spend time thinking about in order to have the relationship I want to have with that category of my life. And so the way the protocol fits in the model is that some of the things are in the T line and some of the things are in the A line. And so as you develop these protocols, you can plug the lines into the model and see what it creates for you, depending on if it's an action or if it's a thought. One thing that I've noticed is that the result that I achieve in the model, the result that I achieve from following my protocol is that, like I mentioned in the beginning, I show up in the world in the way that I want to, and I'm deciding it from my higher brain. And that always feels good because when we decide in the moment a way that we're going to respond, it's often from our lower brain. And then later we think, man, why did I do that? Or that's not what I wanted to do. I really was wanting to do this other thing. And so deciding ahead of time how we want to show up in a given situation is making that decision from our higher brain. And then that empowers us to all the more act from our higher brain, even in intense situations or a situation where we're feeling vulnerable or afraid or or any of those things, confused or overwhelmed overwhelmed, we can remember what we've already taken the time to decide in our protocol and then just do that. Just count on and rely on that decision that's already been made. Or it's important to me that you understand that none of these things like make you a good mom or a bad mom or a good wife or a bad wife or good with money or bad with money. And I want you to actually kind of get away from that vocabulary. Like this isn't like my good mom protocol. This is just like the way Jesse wants to be a mom protocol. And so it's it's not a good mom or a bad mom. It's just achieving that result of being who I want to be, even right in the heat of the moment. That's what I'm really working on is I can be who I want to be when all factors are working perfectly for me, but I want to be who I want to be, who I've decided to be ahead of time, even in the heat of the moment, even when my circumstances make it tempting for me to indulge in what my lower brain is offering me. When I teach my clients this concept, I love teaching them about the power that this creates for you because often uh, my clients will come to me saying like, I'm having a lot of trouble with my daughter. Uh, Parenting her is so exhausting. And when she acts out this way and I, you know, I discipline her this way and it's all just too much and exhausting, you know, that's just kind of a vague example. But what I like to help them understand is that parenting that daughter is not what's exhausting. What's exhausting is not being sure how you're going to react in a given situation. And then when that situation occurs, sometimes you react this way. Sometimes you react like maybe sometimes you come down on her really hard and sometimes you just let it fly. And then you spend time afterwards second guessing the way that you acted or, or responded and also wondering if you're going to be able to hold the consequence that you threw out in the moment that was like maybe disproportionate to the behavior, all of that, that's the part that makes it exhausting. And so what can really eliminate that exhaustion for you is to take this time to make these decisions ahead of time. And you really will, this is this is a work in progress. It's, it's not uh, something that you just make once and then it's over. I'm adding to mine all the time. I added to them today as I was reviewing them as, and while I was preparing for this episode, I thought of a couple of more as I was reviewing them today. And so if you come upon a situation where you didn't like how you reacted, and you're doing your self-coaching on it later that day or the next day or to see if you can get a hold of it and see what thoughts created the actions and results that you weren't desiring. And another layer that you can do is when you decide, how do I want to feel? How do I want to act in this situation in the future? Because it will happen again. And then you can say, okay, when my daughter lies to me or whatever the problem is, this will be the consequence like every time. 
And so in the moment, if you're feeling really angry that she lied, sometimes you, like I said, do that disproportionate consequence. Or sometimes if you're overwhelmed with something else, you just kind of throw your hands up and say like, oh, we'll talk about this later. And then it doesn't even get addressed. And that kind of back and forth, that's the exhausting part. And so if you're able to decide ahead of time, okay, when my child does this behavior, this is the consequence. And you're making that decision from your rational brain. And so you can feel good about it. Even in the moment, you won't need to second guess it. Even if your lower brain is like, are we sure that's what we should do? You know, are you sure? that's the consequence you want to apply because she's the third time she's lied to you this week and you're going to be tempted to like increase the consequence or whatever but you have decided from your rational brain that a very appropriate consequence is blank and then you don't have to spend any time second guessing that even if your lower brain wants you to so that will eliminate a lot of drama and a lot of exhaustion for you in in like in particular in parenting or um you know, something with your spouse or something with like a money issue that keeps coming up. If you're able to, when you're doing your self-coaching, add to your protocol, what will help you the next time this particular situation comes up that can really, really help with that. Um, One more aspect about protocols that's important to understand is that it has to be, every, every line in your protocol has to be completely in your control. And if it's dependent on someone else's behavior, then it's a manual. And we've talked about manuals and how those do not serve us or the people around us. And so really double check your lines as you create your protocols that every line is completely in your power. So for example, in my mothering protocol, I have a line that says, teach my kids to work hard, but I don't have a line that says, have kids or who are hard workers because I can't guarantee that they will end up hardworking people in life. I mean, by teaching them and implementing it in their lives, even when they grumble, that definitely increases the chances that they will turn into like hardworking adults. But that is not the success of my protocol is that they turn into hardworking adults. The success of my protocol and showing up as the mom I want to be is that I taught them how to work hard and I taught them the importance of and the value of hard work and what that will create for them in their lives. And so that is all in my control. So really watch your lines there and make sure that they are not manuals. We don't, we want to not have manuals. Okay. That is what I have for you this week on protocols. Um, your mission for this episode is to, like I already said, start to build your own protocols. So take a few pieces of paper or start a Google doc or something where you just type out a few categories that stick out to you that are important to you that you want to decide ahead of time, how you want to think and act in those particular categories. And by getting them started, then they exist in the world and they exist in your brain, but getting them down on paper, typed out, then when the situation comes up that you haven't decided ahead of time how you wanna behave, then it already, the list exists. And so then you can go and add to that list. But if it's just kind of floating around in your head and it doesn't exist yet, it's really hard to compile all of that. So once something exists, you're able to have brand new and powerful and exciting thoughts about it. So really get those lists into existence so that you can start building them. And then just observe how it really decreases the drama and the exhaustion in your life about so many decisions and so much second guessing and over-evaluating things, you know, because if you're showing up in different ways every time and having to make those decisions in the moment every time, that's the exhausting part. That's what we're trying to get away from. Okay, uh, I have a hot mess moment for you this episode. Just kind of a funny story about uh, how my husband hates to take selfies. And I, I wouldn't say I love to take selfies, but I love to take pictures. And so when we're doing something fun, I love to say like, hey, let's get a quick picture. Oh, and it makes him grumpy just instantly. Pictures are one of his least favorite things, but he loves me. And so we take pictures all the time. <laughs> 
And I've learned that it's just totally okay that he's grumpy. And it will cause some interesting kind of arguments sometimes because he will frown in the picture thinking he's being funny or thinking that he's uh, kind of taking a stand on how he doesn't want to take a picture. And so then we end up the whole process of getting the picture takes so much longer than if he had just smiled the first time. And so then we kind of argue about it or laugh about it or whatever, depending on the mood that we're in. And there was this one time that we were at a concert or something just like a I can't quite remember, but some kind of concert. And I said, it was during the intermission. And I said, let's, let's get a, let's get a picture. And he was being a stinker and making frowny faces and things. So I just told him I was going to keep taking pictures till he smiled, you know, and we ended up taking like 16 pictures and he, I don't think he ended up smiling, but he ended up just making a face that was acceptable. (laughs) And afterward, I pointed out that concept of just like, if you would just, you know, smile at the beginning, I would just take one and then it would be over. Or sometimes I let him take the pictures because he has longer arms than me. So he gets a little bit better of an angle, but then he'll take like three blurry ones and then put the camera away and just think he's being so funny. Anyway, if you can't tell, my husband is kind of a joker and a stinker. We've talked about that before. And it's part of his charm. I really love that about him. At least I'm working on loving that about him. But anyway, in this in this concert, there was someone sitting right behind us that was like making all these weird faces in our selfies that we didn't realize they were just like photobombing the whole time but we were so self-involved in our little selfie war that we didn't realize that their head was like in between our heads just like right behind us in the seats behind us making all these faces as we took like 16 pictures and we were laughing so hard like later that night when we discovered it because we didn't even notice that there was a third person in all of our pictures so anyway my husband hates to take selfies and I love to take selfies or pictures And so we just work around that all the time. And it's pretty funny. I like to tell him that pictures are my paycheck. So like my mothering paycheck is usually how I'll say it because, you know, I work hard to get us to different places and have different adventures and have the kids all like clean and dressed and looking cute. And I'm not one that's like has the camera out taking pictures the whole time because I do just want to enjoy it and be in the moment. But I like to get a picture or two right at the beginning of whatever activity we're doing because that's just my paycheck for all the hard. It represents all the hard work I did to like get us to that moment and then we get to just enjoy ourselves and I put the camera away but then I can look back on that picture and enjoy remembering that fun experience and knowing that I showed up the way I wanted to in that moment so pictures are my paycheck okay you guys thank you so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode if you enjoy this podcast please share it with your friends I also love when you subscribe rate and review it If this podcast resonates with you and you are interested in learning more, please send an email to jesse at simplyresilient.net to schedule your free life coaching mini session and see if working with me would be a great fit for you. Remember that when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out.